welcome to Let's Talk Pixels. Today we are joined by Jason Marnoka. You know him as Megatron in Transformers, Smite, Dragon Quest Your Story, and many amazing projects. Let's talk some pixels. Jason, how are you? I am doing as well as one, I suppose, can in the given circumstances <laughs> in the world around us. So, you know, getting by, uh, uh, learned to sort of adjust my habits and expectations out of a given day in terms of, you know, seeing people and existing around anyone ever. So not too bad, not too bad. Okay, brilliant, brilliant. So let's kick this thing off with you telling us what's your story? Who, what, when, where, and why did you get into voiceover? Well, um, let's see. I suppose I, uh, well, the, the the bare fact of why I got into and enjoy voiceover so much, I suppose, is that I did the theater thing in college and high school and things, and I really like not having to memorize scripts. That's a big thing. So <laughs> while that not may, may not be the immediate origin, that's definitely a huge, huge part of it for me. I, I like to not have to memorize scripts. Um, but I suppose it all started um, when I was a wee lad back uh, back in Indiana. I um, I used to, you know, do all sorts of uh, big movie watcher and all that. So I was uh, uh, I used to do all sorts of quote unquote impressions and whatnot, which um, my you know parents would be like, "Hey, show Uncle Joe how you you know do the thing," which I'm sure were terrible impressions because I was you know ten. <laughs> But I, I guess probably more than the uh, voice itself, it was more like the performance capture, I guess. But I don't know, that that whole thing kind of got me into uh, the idea of performance and um, uh, certainly of um, throwing my voice over things. Like I used to have one of those little micro cassette recorders, which I'm sure a lot of you know voiceover people will say is also part of their origin story because they're just fun. And I would like actually record shows or movies or whatever and actually splice my voice in to substitute out another so i would sort of i, I guess i was like dubbing before i knew dubbing was a thing mm -hmm. um so that's you know that that's that was a big part of it and uh i i'm sure that i have those little cassettes somewhere i just have to find a device to play them on now and i'm, yeah, I'm kind of curious to see <laughs> how it turned out mm -hmm. after all but um so that was the very beginning origin point i think of being interested in in uh, crafting a character through through the voice and things like that. Um, and then uh, I suppose from there, it went into high school where I, I did, uh, you know, drama and things like that. And uh, that was an enjoyable time, even if uh, most of the, the shows that we put on were things like Guys and Dolls or like, you know, things that took place in like maybe the 20s through the 40s, maybe the 50s, because that way everybody could just wear suits and you didn't have to have a crazy costuming department. So I guess, <laughs> I guess that saved everyone a headache. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I did that. And then uh, when I went off to college eventually, um, that was when uh, I was doing more theater stuff in there. Because initially I went to college for, um, uh, for screenwriting because I wanted to do film. And then when I found that rather less exciting than I wanted it to be, I, uh, you know, was like, well, they do have a theater department. I'll switch over there. So I ended up switching my major like th three times total because I switched from screenwriting with the film department to theater. And then as we were doing theater stuff, um, one of my buddies was uh, in the radio department, which I didn't know we had. And the radio department had a voiceover division. And so I'm oh. like, oh, well then. So 
went and took a peek over there and ended up really liking that. So I, uh, you know, I went over and went to the radio department, uh, started, you know, doing voiceover stuff and ended up dropping out of the theater department and moving over there and just uh, ended up getting my degree in radio. And um, that was interesting because they tried to sort of bilk me for a little bit extra because at the very end when I was graduating, they were like, you know, you could minor in voiceover if you stay around for another semester. I'm like, no, 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 I'm good. Thanks. I don't know. Yeah, no, not into it. I don't think anybody's going to care if I have a minor in voiceover. So, no, nope, I'm good. Thanks. I'll take my take my degree and leave. And I did. I grabbed that and ran out of that office. So, brilliant. Yeah. So the rest is history. That was uh, that was how I, I got interested in voiceover. And uh, from there, you know, it's just about networking and you know doing doing a few things here and there and trying to trying to build stuff up and build a portfolio and learn how how the the business works. I guess. Brilliant, brilliant. And one thing I want to touch on is that Meg Megatron was, of course, been taken on by quite a lot of voice actors before you. Um, you're, of course, like the latest official voice actor to voice in. And uh, when you took on the role, were you mainly looking at like Frank Welker's Megatron, you know, the OG G1, don't think if that's meant to mean anything. Um, or did you like put your own spin on the character since, you know, the latest iteration, oh, I cannot speak today, the um, later iterations are more like the G1 cartoon? Um, that's an interesting question because I, uh, when I first got the audition from Megatron, I didn't really have a whole lot of familiarity with Transformers. Like I did watch it when I was a kid, but I wasn't like, you know, big into it or anything. So my, I didn't really have too many preconceived notions about what Megatron would sound like or whatever, you know, I just sort of got the visual of, you know, this big warlord character and whatever. And so, um, my initial thought was just to just give him that that deep growl and whatnot and uh you know from there we uh, uh thankfully they because i auditioned for a whole bunch of characters when we did the prime wars trilogy back in 2016 i think um but i auditioned for him then and i auditioned for optimus prime and starscream and a whole bunch of stuff and uh you know and thankfully i got megatron um because the bad guys are always more fun so you know there is that um but no i i don't think i uh they didn't want us to lean too heavily towards uh any particular voice either so what i ended up auditioning with we just sort of transitioned into this thing where it's not just that growl all the time like we had this notion that it sort of shifts in and out of the growl so sometimes it'll just be smoother and then it'll go down the ear and then it'll come out again for like kind of a you know it sort of shifts depending on his emphasis um, and that, that thankfully they did let me carry that along into the Netflix show, uh, when I came back to do Megatron, because, um, you know, that, that was actually a very flattering phone call when, uh, the showrunner FJ, FJ DeSanto, uh, called me and was like, Hey, so we're doing more Transformers. Um, and I don't really want to bring anyone else in for Megatron. So, you know, cause we had worked together on the previous one we did. And so it was just, it was very flattering to be called in for that. Yeah. And I, glad that I there was some nervousness at first where oh dear will they want me to do something different I hope not because I'm pretty settled into that voice now and I can just do it on command so you know that when you get settled into a certain voice after a while you know there is some worry that you'll have to be called back in for it again and you, they might want to change it up and then I'll just throw everything into disarray <laughs> so, yeah thankfully uh, uh, they let me do more or less the audition that I had sent in and what I wanted to do rather than uh, imitating any of the uh, uh, other Megatron actors who, had, of course, it's a crazy plethora of amazing talent. So I'm like, you know, super stoked to be 
on such a roster of uh, of amazing great great actors <laughs> like it's it's pretty pretty odd but but really satisfying i suppose wow brilliant i mean uh, you've of course sort of answered this one um but do you have a favorite original megatron moment like from the original cartoon uh from the original cartoon the the 80s show yeah yeah oh gosh um really anytime part of me kind of misses the the really hammy megatron moments where you know because he was kind of very arch you know like he was he was the mustache twirling villain um and there's there's something charming about that which i i suppose the shows that we did um uh, haven't really touched on that i mean he's kind you know he's he's you know a, a warlord bad dude but he's not necessarily having as much fun with it he kind of is in combiner wars and titans return and power of the primes that i did first uh, where he's uh, the fans have dubbed him Sassy Megatron because he's mostly just sarcastic and retired and annoyed with everyone, which is mm -hmm. kind of great. But I don't know if I have one specific moment from G1 uh, that I love, but just anytime Megatron gets to be extra maniacal, I enjoy because he I, I, I appreciate Frank Welker's just wonderful cackle as mm -hmm. Megatron. Like he's he's brilliant. I I'm actually quite surprised he's not doing it this time. Not that you're not, you know, you are doing a really good job at it. But I'm quite surprised that they that they haven't called him back, considering he's still working. Because they called Peter Cullen back to play Optimus Prime, didn't they, at one point? Um, they did in our show. Um, they did bring uh, Peter Cullen back in the first uh, the first trilogy of shows, not the Netflix one. That's uh, Jake yeah. Frodi, I believe, um, who I haven't had the pleasure yet to meet. I'd like to. Um, oh. But yeah, I uh, I know that they brought back Peter Cullen, so that was kind of crazy because I didn't know that till uh, after the fact, after I'd recorded my stuff, and then I was watching the show, and suddenly oh. I'm talking talking to Peter Cullen, and you know whatever. <laughs> oh, 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 hi! Yeah, that show was crazy for actors that I didn't realize I would get to play alongside, like you know Mark Hamill's in that show and Ron Perlman's in that show, and uh, you know all kinds of stuff. So it's it's crazy because tragically none of us. Uh, uh, on the first show, Combiner Wars, we did record in the same room for a couple of episodes. It was uh, John Bailey as Optimus, uh, uh, Laura McKissick as uh, the Mistress of Flame, Frank Todaro as Starscream, and myself as Megatron. We were all in a room at one point um, doing a few a few bits. I think Abby Trot was there as well as Windblade. I can't remember. Um, uh, Lana McKissick. Oh, my gosh. I said Laura, didn't I? Um, how could I do that? Poor Lana. I'm sorry, Lana. Um, <laughs> But uh, it's too early for me. I can't think of things. Uh, but yeah, so that was one of the only times we actually recorded ensemble for any of the uh, shows, including the Netflix one. Otherwise, it's usually just solo stuff. So there is something kind of fun about that because, you know, hey, Peter Cullen's in the other show and whatever. Like, you know, you don't realize these things until you sit down and watch it. And it's like, oh, well, that's kind of cool, you know, or what have you. Uh, and certainly my my brain is muddled enough in my in my old age that um i don't really like log a whole bunch of stuff away after a session because i'm just used to going into the next thing or whatever so when i watch a show back it's like it's fresh for me because every now and then i'll be like oh yeah i remember that line or whatever but like i i always say that i'm like one of the I, i'm an nda godsend because I, I will sign that thing and won't be able to tell anyone anything anyway so even if I, even if someone asked like, hey, what's the plot of thus and such? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure it's great, but I don't remember what it is. So oh, I couldn't, okay. I couldn't spoil stuff for people if I wanted to. 
Well, you're definitely a godsend for the internet then. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler warnings, not with Jason Marnoka. <laughs> no, nope, not with me. Uh-uh. <laughs> so, tell us about your cat. Ah, Hecate. Yes, my cat. Um, she is, uh, uh, it's, it, she's what we're referring to as a quarantine cat. Uh, oh. Only because she has never known life outside of it. Because um, when quarantine happened, some friends of uh, my fiance's and mine uh, had came across a stray that kept uh, uh, coming on their porch and like, you know, laying around and stuff. And so they were like, oh, this poor stray, we'll, well let's take her in and see if she's okay and get her checked out and everything. And she was very pregnant. Um, so, you know, had a litter of three kittens and, um, uh, they were, you know, like, Hey, does anybody want these kittens? And we looked at them and we had been wanting to get a cat anyway. So we were like, well, as long as we're in quarantine, it might be good to have a pet, you know? So, Hey, we'll happily take one. And, uh, so she's a little black, uh, American short hair cat and, uh, looks just like her, her mother. She's uh, very, uh, very small. Uh, even though like she was the runt of the litter so the other cats are like you know look like gigantic logs right now but she's still a very very little cat Um, but she was uh, uh, oh gosh she's seven eight months old Um, yeah so she's you know getting to be fullish sized and you know whatever but uh, yeah she was just this tiny little thing and we we were delighted to get her and she's rambunctious as heck but she's still also very very sweet and her it, it's funny her original name uh that they had given her as a placeholder was princess and we were just sort of like what princess ah, what a silly name but she absolutely is a princess she's very sort of dainty and particular in the way she does things she whenever she sits she sits up perfectly straight and her tail curls around her feet you know, like she just looks like a little statue, like she's this perfect little princess. So it's it's actually kind of perfect. But we went with um, Hecate, the uh, uh, Greek goddess of, of witchcraft and things like that. So because we thought it would be, you know, a fun name. And it's kind of oh, the, uh, uh, I'm sorry? And black cat as well. Oh, yes. And a black cat. Absolutely. Yeah. So it all kind of fits together. And we have sort of a, you know, haunted spooky theme to the apartment anyway. So it really just, it really just fits. And she, uh, she follows me around everywhere I go. So we refer to her as my little shadow because she just, if I, I mean, she's outside the booth right now staring at it, just like <laughs> their father. So, oh, brilliant. Hecate's The Quarantine Cat definitely has the best setup for a film. Oh, yes, absolutely. And it's not, it honestly kind of sounds like a children's book, doesn't it? Like it sounds like something. It does. It does. We could yeah. be onto something here. Honestly, yeah. Let's put a pin in that. Let, let's, not, let's not air this episode. Let's, let's like have yeah, a writing session. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you definitely went for a better name than my cat. So I've had my cat for about, oh my God, when, she was, when was she born? Like 2006, I think. So she's 14 now. Mm-hmm. still quite quite active she's still running around at like 4am in the morning oh, and, um, always. obviously being like quite an innocent seven-year-old I thought sugar oh I like realizing that. now that that's actually quite a very stripper name but she's really sweet yeah no I like that I mean if the cat's sweet and it fits I'm down for it sugar that's real cute yeah, yeah I mean our cat thinks cute. her name Hecate thinks her name is baby because that's all we call it we're like baby what are you doing you know, and so I think that she she actually responds to it now. We'll be like, baby, and she'll look at us. We'll be like, Hecate, and she won't look at nothing. So, <laughs> I mean, Sugar was probably a good pick because that sounds like a pet name anyway. Yeah. I think my thought of it is was that, was that she's like a calico cat. So she's got like patches of white, black, oh, and brown. Adorable. 
So I was thinking there's white sugar, there's brown sugar, and then there's burnt sugar. <laughs> Wonderful. I like that a lot. That's good logic. I support yeah, it. De definitely. Cats are great. <laughs> <laughs> so apart from Megatron, are there any other classic characters that you'd like to take the helm of, like a Thundercats villain, Skeletor, or anything like that? Anything from like a particular childhood fa favorite thing that you wanted to take the helm of? Oh man. Um, yeah, there's a couple. Uh, uh, not so much um, Skeletor because I, uh, um, I think honestly I'd I'd rather Frank Todaro played Skeletor because um, he. Does mm, a oh yeah, he could he could really do that. Oh, he's fantastic at that. Um, bless his heart. Uh, Frank's the best. Um, and then uh, I think honestly I'm much more of a, a comic book person, so I think I would probably rather do like a Batman villain or or uh, Doctor Doom from Marvel or something like that. Um, oh. be the most fun, I think. Uh, what's What's interesting though is I don't think I would take uh, the Joker just because I, I don't want to step into those shoes after, uh, you know, Mark Hamill is already, you know, the perfect Joker. Which isn't to say that you know no one else has done Megatron perfectly. I certainly think that there have been incredible, mm. perfect Megatron performances. But there's something about like the very particular way that my brain uh attaches to comic stuff more than it really did to transformers so like those voices i feel are pretty iconic but i'd love to take a crack at um you know other batman villains that may not have such a classically established voice like you know the riddler or two-face or black mask or something mm -hmm. like that you know like one of those one of those scarier batman villains yeah because like with them with like comic characters of course it's a lot to like, more interpretation than like a cartoon it's sort of um doing um, another iteration of. I think that's kind of the key thing with comic characters, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it, it all depends on the version that's being done because you can do, you know, you can, I mean, especially with Batman, you can take it super dark and gritty Chris Nolan, like real stuff, or you can take it, you know, like sort of Brave and the Bold, like more 60s parody Adam West kind of stuff, you know, like there's so much you can do depending on where you uh, want to land with like the tone of your show. And the voices can all be different from there. Like there doesn't have to be, you know, like one set sound. So yeah, there's definitely more room for like, you know, whatever to sort of be thrown into the mix. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Now, um, you did touch up on your sort of origin story of breaking into voiceover. So was there like, um, before breaking into voiceover though, where did you ever like meet a veteran voice artist who you've admired for a while and inspired and like told Gabe, ugh. God, what is wrong with me and <laughs> gave you an inspiring message that you still hold on to to this day um i don't know if i if i can think of a specific i do know that um uh during college i did um i, I had a couple of professors uh, uh jeff lupatin and deb dotzer both of which are uh, uh still working voice actors and they're they're both brilliant and i i can never thank them enough for all that they they helped me with and and gave me and uh, worked on with me during my days there, but also um, Deb uh, actually ran a uh, course with uh, Mr. Pat Fraley when um, uh, he would come into town. He would he would hold uh, uh, voiceover classes, and so um, you know it was it was neat to uh, uh, be able to work with someone who you know, and he he would he's so good and so versatile and so brilliant and so funny. Like he's, he's just a hysterical guy. And so in light of that, it's easy to learn from him. Um, so that was supremely helpful. And also the other thing that was kind of neat was that uh, at the time I smoked cigarettes and um, so did he. So, uh, uh, you know, we would uh, 
sort of be smoking buddies because nobody else in the class seems to. I think at one point, maybe one other person did. But usually if we were on break or whatever, he'd be like, Jason, come on, let's go. And so we'd, <laughs> we'd just <laughs> go downstairs of the building and step outside and just sort of chat about everything and just sort of decompress and whatever. And that was just sort of nice. You know, there was, there was something, there was some camaraderie about that. I haven't spoken to uh, Pat in a little bit, but I would I would like to at some point and catch up with him again. But, yeah. you know, just sort of, I, I guess something I really took from that, which was helpful was that, um, you know, it's easy to like fanboy or fangirl over like, you know, someone who whose work you really admire or whatever, but then you sort of meet them and, oh, they're a regular person. Mm. Oh. You know, there was something kind of instructive about that just in and of itself, I guess, that, you know, you can't sort of deify uh, anybody whose work you admire. You can't not to the point that they they become something other than human, because I think that uh, they prefer to, you know, just be treated like a regular person. I mean, I've, you know, guested at a few conventions and stuff, and I definitely try to be as personable and chill as possible. And you know, somebody wants to shake my hand or give me a hug. Like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, not during a pandemic, but any other time. Absolutely. Like, come here, you know, like just because I mean, hey, like they on may only meet you that once. And if they love your work, like why give a poor impression or why pretend to be something else you're not like hmm. just I don't know. It, it helped me realize that if you just be cool, then, you know, it everybody wins and, and it'll be a chill time for everybody. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, that's exactly what I didn't do when I met Jim Cummings at MCM London. Oh, <laughs> so um, it's quite funny. Like it was it was running late. Like we were like first, like not no, we weren't the first in line, but it was like before they actually came out of the hotel, I'm guessing, and tried to present themselves to the fans. And um, my mum was with me and she was getting a bit worked up <laughs> and <laughs> how long it was taking. Like she didn't get an autograph or anything, bless her. But um, then they finally came out and um, I was definitely sort of fangirling out. I was like, oh, like, thank you for being an inspiration to me. I like went and got my, un my, um, my uh, union membership and things. And my mum was like, oh, let's get a photo. And it was like, there was a sign that says no selfies. And I was like, oh, okay. He just leaned in next to Jim. He was quite cool about it that my mum took a photo. And then she was like, um, yeah, didn't need to mention the, the union thing. <laughs> and I'm like, seriously? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like, seriously <laughs> so yeah definitely not doing that again <laughs> yeah no taking I, photographs. <laughs> I mean hey they let it happen didn't they so i mean <laughs> oh yeah yeah definitely it was it was, it was funny but <laughs> i was did you get something signed like what was uh, uh yeah i've got something here i don't know why it's under my bed i'm just gonna get it it's treasure Okay, I can't find it. But basically, it was um, I did get a photograph with him actually. But um, he uh, gave me a picture of Ed from The Lion King, and it's like said to Z, "Stay tuned, Jim Cummings' signature," and then it was like Ed's signature. Oh, that's fantastic! Yeah, it was brilliant. Oh, it was quite a nice day actually. Oh yeah, I'm sure he seems a brilliant guy. I've never had the pleasure of meeting him, but I'm I'm sure he's fantastic. Yeah, he's so lovely. But um. Is there a particular film, book, TV program, anything that makes you feel nostalgic? I think because, you know, nowadays we kind of want to go back to a simpler time. So is there anything like you got turned to if you want to feel nostalgic? Oh, gosh, sure. Um, yeah, anything, uh, especially since I've moved to California, there's definitely a, a, a big sense of um, kind of missing home a bit. 
you know, back in the Midwest, because I went to went to college in Chicago and lived there for a chunk of years. But I was I'm originally from Indiana. And mm. um, so, you know, I, I do miss having real seasons and things like that, you know, actual fall weather and actual cold in winter and maybe even snow and things like that. So, you know, there's uh, part of that I definitely miss. So, you know, sometimes if I'm feeling super nostalgic, I'll throw on a movie like Rudy which uh, uh, my family's from South Bend, which is where Notre Dame Stadium is. So, of course, the football team um, is, uh, uh, you know, that, that's what that movie's about. If you've, uh, if you've given it a look, it's with uh, Sean Astin and a whole crazy mm -hmm. cast. Very, very excellent film. But it's all about uh, uh, him getting into, into Notre Dame University and uh, uh, playing Notre Dame football. So, you know, it's just, it's very nostalgic for me because I have many memories growing up where we'd go to Notre Dame Stadium and uh, uh, you know, tailgate outside, go to the football game, you know, whatever. I'm not even a big sports person, but just the communal experience of it was great. Because to be frank, I would rarely actually go into the game. I would actually just go to the the library across the way, which is this great big gothic-looking building because it's a very <laughs> old college, um, very old, quote unquote. You know, it's not as old as <laughs> some proper like you know English universities or things like that. But, um, you know, it is still fairly old. So it has it has very sort of gothic architecture and things like that. And everything's kind of cathedral like and what have you. So, you know, just go there and kind of read while the game is going on. And then, uh, you know, come back out afterwards and everybody would still be hanging out and having drinks. And, you know, our family would be there and everything, a whole big family. And so, I don't know, things like that are really nostalgic for me. Um, certainly uh, uh, to throw on Batman again I still think the best uh, uh, Batman film out of any of them live action or otherwise is uh, Mask of the Phantasm um, so that I definitely like to throw on sometimes because I think that that uh, it definitely puts me back at a very particular time like watching that you know on uh, when, when it was released and they would put it on Cartoon Network occasionally at night um, you know and I would watch it downstairs uh, and, and at the TV and everything like that, and I so I have very particular memories about that movie. It makes me makes me feel a certain way, and makes <laughs> times feel like they're not so bad, even if they are. Um, so those are big ones for me. I'm definitely a, a, a nostalgic Disney fan as well. Um, even the more obscure, like live action things, like uh, you know the Treasure Island from 1950 with Robert Newton and everything mm -hmm. like that. So those those also give me. Uh, some some nice nostalgia juice in my right directly into my veins which oh, is nice yeah. so you know I, I i'm open for a whole bunch of stuff and i mean I, even if i i am grateful to be working during all this i i do still have an ample amount of free time so throwing on the tv and throwing on something that i'm familiar with has definitely been happening a good chunk so yeah <laughs> Like me, me, for example, I've definitely been like going back to Disney nostalgia, like believe it or not, you probably haven't heard of this, but I know, of course, Disney Plus released in November in the US in 2019. Do you know when it released in the UK? No. It released in March of this year. What? Literally, like every, like that's my reaction. And it was like, uh, like I think I, I think I went out to lunch with my family and my sister-in-law was in the back seat and um yeah, I got the front for some reason. <laughs> My sister-in-law was in the back seat and then they were like looking at some um, news about Disney Plus, like, you know, this whole big Disney Netflix is coming out in November. And I was like, oh great, so we'll have it in November then. And she's like, mm. <laughs> No, like, apparently so not. Bizarre. I don't know why they You're did that, delayed. it's so weird. That's a long delay too, like what? It's like five months, feels I mean, like. if you ask me, I think part of what that comes from is that 
No offense to the Disney Corporation or the way that they conduct themselves. However, they seem to notoriously have a problem in the parks and otherwise with misjudging capacity. Whether they overestimate or way underestimate, it usually results in like, you know, an overcrowding or not enough people to cover an event or whatever. Like there, there always seems to be this thing where Disney can't gauge its audience very well. And I don't know why, because it's a global audience. But um, I think the same thing kind of happens with Disney Plus, because when it first came out, I think they assumed everybody would want it, but not everybody, everybody. And then when everybody, everybody did want it, it kept crashing. <laughs> and so <laughs> at least that's my memory of it, was that uh, we had quite a lot of trouble when we first got it because it would crash and it was pretty minimal and whatever. They've definitely got their handle on it now, as Disney always does. They always pick up and, you know, get to it and figure it mm. out. But I, I did notice that, too. I was like, ah, as with so many things that I've learned with Disney, they underestimated their capacity. So, you know, it's but I, I had no idea it was that much of a delay over there. That's crazy to me. It is crazy. Good times to talk about our sponsor, Disney Plus. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I'm joking. Who I love Plus. very much. <laughs> this mouth but, is good. Um, but one, one thing I have been doing is watching back at like Simpsons episodes. Oh, don't watch the newer ones. No. I don't know why. It just doesn't hit the same. But um, watching older episodes, because we used to have like VHS tapes of like the specifically yeah. the the Star Wars ones which coincidentally yeah. Disney also owns <laughs> and um and like the one where Homer like gains weight to stay at home <laughs> and um yeah again that also kind of resonated with me nowadays but <laughs> but um I can't believe how much like adult jokes there are in it's kind of like a family sort of thing kind oh, of yeah. oh, yeah. I don't know how to categorize it I don't know if it's adult I don't know if it's family I don't know what it is I don't know. I think it fluctuates depending on what you want. It's like a nebulous definition. Like it, it can be whatever you feel like it should be as it depends on who you're explaining it to. Like yeah. somehow they managed to make that work for, you know, 812 years or however long it's been on. Um, I think something like that, 812, maybe 813 years. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I haven't watched uh, too much of the newer Simpsons stuff. Honestly, for Halloween, we just threw on all the Treehouse of Horror bits and we're just... Oh yeah, those are great. I watched all of those. Oh, they're so good. <laughs> Literally, I don't care if the newer ones are rubbish. I like. I think they're great. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's just it's just a fun idea. And then you see the, you know, adjusted names in the credits and all that, oh, made to be all spooky and stuff, and that's fun. And uh, like, I feel like I watched more Simpsons when I was in school. Like, we watched episodes of Simpsons at school for some reason. Oh, yeah. No, we did, too. Absolutely. Especially, like, Treehouse of Horror stuff. At one point, one of my professors, I remember in high school, actually put on the uh, uh, the sort of spoof that they do with Homer and uh, uh, the Raven, the post. Yes. Yeah. They threw that, that on in English class because they were like, well, this is kind of based on narrative stuff. I don't know. Watch this. And they just threw it on, I think, because they just didn't want to teach that day. Um, so, yeah, just threw that on and we watched it. And it was like, I guess that was kind of informative because they essentially do the poem. But uh, eh, good enough, everyone. And I mean, that's that's the one that's it's narrated by James Earl Jones, right? Oh, yeah, I think it is. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm suddenly having flashbacks to it. I'm like, I just watched this. How the hell do I not remember? <laughs> um, but, yeah, I'm uh, just gorgeous stuff and gorgeous animation. And ugh, James Earl Jones, what a voice. Oh. Like, uh, funny you talk about not wanting to teach because I know specific occasions where I turn on The Simpsons because I didn't want to teach. Um, <laughs> because we watched the episode where Bart steals the statue head 
Bart sells his soul and Bart gets Sideshow Bob arrested. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I'm not sure if they're trying to tell us not to be Bart Simpson. I think that's what it kind of was. <laughs> like that was the gist sometime early on and then they sort of fell away from that and just said you know what maybe you should be <laughs> yeah the lesson of that was was not don't scandalize statues don't sell yourself peanuts and don't antagonize dangerous criminals i think that's yeah. kind of what the lesson of that was yeah, definitely and yeah and those are all good pieces of advice to be fair yeah i wish they actually told us that <laughs> <laughs> not just making me make this discovery like 11 years later. Yeah, some odd years later. Out. Maybe they should have spelled it out in the credits. Yeah, like, definitely. Tell me, you want me to gather something from this? Make sure I walk away with it. Don't oh, yeah, definitely, gather definitely. it on my own. <laughs> so, are there any other upcoming uh, projects that you can tell us about? Nope. I mean, there are upcoming <laughs> projects, but I can't tell you. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I have been having a lot of fun with uh, uh, some some characters that I actually, this was something that was brought up on Twitter recently that uh, uh, maybe I should, I, I, that I guess I would like to kind of impart uh, as, a, as a piece of advice to anyone listening is um, uh, audition for everything, if you get it. I mean, unless, you know, if you can't, if you can't do the accent that they ask for, if you can't do, you know, if you're, if you're not a, a, a POC or, you know, whatever might be needed for the role, then don't audition for it. So when I say audition for everything, I don't mean audition for everything, but, um, audition for things that uh, are within your wheelhouse that you may not get cast for, because that happened to me uh, not too long ago, um, just during quarantine, in fact, uh, where um, when I get auditions through my agent, I will occasionally ask if there are any other additional, uh, you know, characters that I could audition for. Um, because usually I, <laughs> I tend to find, and I'm not complaining because I like these uh, types that I usually get cast as, but I usually get cast as the older mentor character, usually a, a dude with a beard, um, the big scary monster or like scary, growly, sinister villain. Those tend to be my my things that I get cast for. Um, but I really like when I get to branch out into things like, you know, like in Dragon Quest, your story, like you mentioned, where I, I play Bishop Ladia, um, who's a very maniacal, creepy, you know, spindly villain character. And he's he was really fun. So I like I like doing stuff that's outside of my usual. And in light of that, I was given an audition not too long ago for a character who was sort of a, a, a jollier, older gentleman with a beard. So that falls into my usual wheelhouse, right? But um, I, I specifically was like, are there any other characters in this that I could also audition for? Because, you know, I'm trying to branch out a little more and trying to, you know, do that. And I didn't necessarily expect anything to come of it because, you know, I, I tend to get cast as these characters with, with beards and whatever. So, you know, I was kind of anticipating that, but I did audition for two other characters. And one of them is a uh, very kind of cerebral character, um, kind of softer spoken, uh, very matter of fact, not super cartoony or anything like that, but just a very, mm -hmm. you know, methodical character. And I like methodical characters like that. So uh, I get the, I get told a little bit later that I booked that character and not mm -hmm. the dude with the beard. So it's like, oh, okay, well, Awesome, because initially I was just sort of like, eh, maybe I'll get it, maybe I won't, because usually I'm trying my best, especially during quarantine, to, you know, not want, you, you know, generally the rule is if you audition for something, throw it away afterwards, like, you know, don't want it too bad. <laughs> but every now and then, there's something that I'm like, I really want it, you know, <laughs> and it just haunts me day and night. And uh, 
this was uh kind of one of those like i would think about it every now and then like huh well i hope i get that that looks like a lot of fun <laughs> and i did lo and behold so it's just you know that's just something i've been trying to remind myself of recently and i thought maybe i could impart that to the listeners as well is definitely you know don't know what you can do but also know what you can't do but like you know just go for it if it feels right and you think you've got something there go for it worst you can do is hear no brilliant brilliant just make sure you like print that on like some fridge magnets sell them on the side i'll put a, I'll put a picture of hecate next to it just a little cat motivation <laughs> set up a shop on etsy <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, brilliant and now are there any social media links that anyone can find you at oh yes um i actually only just recently wrangled all my social medias into one <laughs> usual username and it's uh uh on twitter and instagram and such like that i'm uh j marnoka just the letter j and then m-a-r-n-o-c-h-a um so you can find me on there uh and then i have a facebook page that i find myself not updating as much um but that's uh, just Jason Marnoka voiceover. Um, usually you can see me posting uh, uh, stuff about, you know, new stuff I've been cast in or whatever, or convention appearances and things like that. You can find that on there. And on Twitter, you can find me mostly musing about voiceover and also occasionally posting pictures of Hecate. And on Instagram, you can really see me posting pictures of Hecate because my cat is cute. Yeah, she certainly is. <laughs> <laughs> And one more thing before you go, and that is, does Megatron have something he'd like to say to our dear listeners? Of course he does. I would like to remind all of you filthy humans that when we come to Earth and subjugate you to our iron will, just make sure that there's enough of you surviving. Wear a mask, will you? Brilliant. There it was. And that was Jason Monoka. Thank you.